listening to what Rob was reading about the perfect wife. Can I say something? <laughs> Remember when we did the reform class and we said that in the new covenant, everything is interpreted through the eyes of Christ and Christ set women free. Okay, just saying. <laughs> there are some good things about Proverbs. It's part of our canon, but um, I don't think we're called to live as women um, in 400 before Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, your Holy Spirit is what shows us the truth. The Holy Spirit is what gives us validation in our hearts about what we're hearing and what we are looking at together as your community. So I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable. We're not looking for approval from people. We want this to be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. The world is a mess, agreed? Um, I know that there have been periods throughout history where it's been worse. Last year, PBS had a series on the bubonic plague, the black fever in Europe, and, you know, two out of every three people died a horrible death. We know, and this is something that I do remember um, losing my faith over for a while. We know what happened in the Holocaust. But what we've never had is access to everything that goes on everywhere in the world all the time. And we have never had technology in the form of weaponry and everything else the way we do right now. And this is to be a sermon of hope. I know I'm starting pretty bleak, but this is what we need to know. If we believe that the only reality that exists is this, that the only reality that exists can be known through our senses, then we set something up for ourselves, which is really depressing. Then we have to look to the world for truth and for wisdom. And that is a pathway to despair and depression because the world in so many ways is opposed to what Christ is all about, which is when you distill everything and what comes through in this passage is that he is about peace. So we learn to live with a certain amount of chaos and we believe that it's part of life and it's always present. And then we see footage of migrants trying to get to Germany and we just think, no, there's something wrong here. What do we do with chaos? What we do do with it and the lack of peace internally and externally is kind of fascinating because we try to control it or we ignore it or we give in to it. And the question is asked, what if there is another realm that has nothing to do with chaos? and is in fact antithetical to evil itself because evil and chaos are in, intertwined. Well, obviously, there is such a realm and such a reality, and that's what the James passage is, the kingdom of God. And when we can see and know, if not fully, we can taste it, 
And this realm is a realm of heavenly wisdom. James talks about the two wisdoms. There is the wisdom of the world. And there is the wisdom of God. And there is a place where they overlap for the children of God. But where we're going is where the wisdom of God reigns. The realm of heavenly wisdom does exist. And it's more real than real. And that's my benefit from having had an afterlife experience. And once in a while, it's necessary for me to think about it and for me to talk about it. But in crossing over to be with God, the thing that was astounding and does not lend itself to words, so forgive me if it's hard to talk about, is that that is more real than this. That is more solid than this. When James talks about life being a vapor, that made total sense after being with God. What we think is that this is the reality. This is the gift. This is the gift of life. But the reality is something else. And it does exist. And it's more real than real. And our hearts yearn for this when we don't even know it. Our hearts yearn for something else. The realm of peace. And even though our earthly passions draw us away from it, and it's almost like we can't help it, a big drawback, keeping people from peace, from the wisdom from above, is the self-delusion that we don't really have to submit. As James says, and this is a huge biblical theme, we must submit. And I'm not exactly enamored with the word submission. But there's no getting around it. Just hearing it produces anxiety. But everything hinges on it. That there has got to be a part of us. And if we did it when we're five years old, that doesn't matter. We need to do it again. That submits to the way of Christ, to the person of Christ, whatever it is about him that speaks to our soul. And in doing this, wisdom as the world knows it, the worldly wisdom no longer has the same power. The beginning of heavenly wisdom is knowing how much we do not know. With submission is an act of humility. And we know from Psalm 111 that the beginning of true wisdom is fear of the Lord. Fear, meaning deep and profound awe and respect for our maker. Have you ever noticed that as we grow in Christ, we actually do become more comfortable with the unknown? the foundation of true wisdom, knowing what we do know and knowing what we don't know. Well, I'll tell you something that we do know. We don't have control in our lives. That is a fallacy. We do not have control. And James tells us that there is peace to be had, but it means giving up control. Giving up control of the things that we hold most dear 
And as I was thinking about this, I remembered what C.S. Lewis said, and it has never gone away. The thing which is hardest to let go of is our pride, and with our pride is our reputation. I've heard it said that the most important thing a person has is their reputation. But that's a worldly value. Christ did not promote hero worship or successful, whatever that means, person worship. He showed us God worship. The whole idea of putting people on pedestals is as old as the hills, and it ultimately never, ever works. Put someone, anyone, on a pedestal, and inevitably they will fall off. Put yourself, ourselves, on a pedestal where people are constantly looking up to see us. And true emotional intimacy is basically impossible. We can't have healthy relationships when one is far above the other. Think about your closest relationships, your healthiest ones. And there are some things where you're on top and there's some things where they are on top. But when you even it all out, it's pretty even. If we put ourselves on pedestals, believing in our heart of hearts that we are a little better and know a little more and have greater wisdom. And I'm not talking about the accumulation of facts. That's something else. I'm talking about wisdom. Then the danger becomes that the ones that we form relationships are the other people who think I'm a little bit better. I am clued in in a very special way that the rest of them just don't get instead of relationships being formed by the love of Christ and for the love of Christ. James continues, where there is selfish ambition, like when we insist on things going our way because we believe that we alone know best, where there is selfish ambition, arrogance, you will find disorder and every evil practice. We cling to controlling behavior in other ways, believing that the worldly knowledge we have is superior to the wisdom from above. That wisdom from above is for super spiritual people and to believe in it is just a little bit naive and maybe foolish, unrealistic, and actually believing that the power, the true power, is in the chaos and worldly ideals. That the cynical edge to life is kind of important if we're going to survive. But the world is what we know. So of course we tend to believe this. We cling to the familiar, but we need God. We need a different familiar. In a serious conversation about the afterlife, I was talking with a very honest young woman and she knew the description of heaven. And she says, it's continuous praising of God with angels. And she says, I'm sorry. That sounds boring. That sounds monotonous. And I realized that what people believe is that heaven is a place where we kind of live life as we know it, only we're stuck forever in heaven. The truth is, that heaven is more than a place. It is a condition. And it's a condition of endless joy. 
We don't want our loved ones to be anywhere else but in that condition of endless joy that cannot be accessed through evil. We access through God, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And to have peace from above, we submit to God, not the drumbeat of secular life. Being wise in our own understanding does not bring us closer to God. If we truly have wisdom as a spiritual gift, we know that it's God at work and that we can experience wisdom from anyone at any time. And this is the humility that James talks about. Reputation matters not at all with God. He guides us to be free of the need for approval. And as long as we seek approval from everyone, we serve the world. There was a Sunday school class in the 1980s at a huge California church, which was my church, Hollywood Presbyterian Church. And it was for young adults. And it had several hundred members in this class. And these were very appealing young adults. And they probably were successful in the terms of the world. But the name that they gave themselves was Fools for Christ. That was the name of their Sunday school class. And they called themselves fools for short. And when announcements would be made, the pastors had fun with this and said, oh, and the fools will be having lunch after their class today. And I thought at the time, what, how undignified. Fools? Aren't we made in the image of God? Fools? But I'm really getting it. Only people who were secure in the Lord and understood heavenly wisdom would enjoy that collective name. And it is from 1 Corinthians 4. Be glad that when we can be fools for Christ. And I can't tell you how much comfort that phrase has given me over the years. Wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The last point here. We give up a huge part of the wisdom of the world when we give up our false selves, the insincere false selves. The worldliest people believe that no one can see through them. It's like there is no knowledge of a blind spot. There are parts of each one of us that the world sees that we do not see. And we think we're fooling people. And we do feel fool some of the people some of the time. But transparent, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually transparent is a way that, that Christ calls us to live Hiddenness creates chaos and conflict. The issue of peace is so huge that Christ, of course, is called the Prince of Peace. Selfish ambition can be so subtle and seem so natural in a culture that promotes the adulation of self. And to strive to be a peacemaker really feels out of step. It takes courage to be a peacemaker. And it might mean going through the middle of the pain and the fear 
And peacemaking doesn't require a lot of words, but that doesn't mean that if we are peacemakers, we necessarily stay quiet either. It's the opposite of arrogance. It is a genuine curiosity and love for other people. A peacemaker is a person who listens and asks the right questions, asking questions and listening. You can't be anything but your true self when you're in that role. Christ-like behavior, the way of the heavenly wise, is show me who you are. It's what Christ acts. It's what we do as the body of Christ. Enter into the other realm. We can do it by surrendering, by submitting wisdom from above. And we can take the realm outward as far as we can go. And we can take the peace, even if it means that we become fools for Christ. Let us pray. Lord, help us to not be seduced by the world. Show us what your true wisdom really is. We have a bunch of words floating around, but the biggest word is peace. And we know that in order to have peace, our pride, our arrogance has to be slayed. So be with us now. In Jesus Christ, amen.